Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you this morning and uh, really excited about the next few weeks together. Uh, Today, as you saw in the video and Jeremy mentioned earlier, we're kicking off a brand new series called Church Defined. That's going to carry us through the summer for the next three months. And our hope is by the time we finish this series in August, UPS will have found our missing package and the stage will be finished. But no guarantees, all right? So that's my last reference to the unfinished stage this morning, I promise. But I do want to invite you just to grab your Bibles and kind of keep them close this morning. We're going to be jumping around a lot of different scripture. If you, if you need a copy of God's Word, there's a copy of the scriptures in the pocket in front of you. And that's our gift to you this morning. But as we kick off this series, I just want you to imagine something for a minute. And I want you to imagine that there's an organization, uh, that this organization has an influence that is felt in every nation on the planet. I want you to imagine an organization that's not known for its products, but it's known for the transformation of lives and the transformation of communities. I want you to imagine an organization that's, that's known for the radical, selfless love of the people who belong to that organization. I want you to imagine an organization that's known to possess unlimited supernatural power, unlimited and infinite resources, whose volunteer force has une- is unequaled in the world, an organization, listen to this, that was ordained by God himself from the foundation of the world, an organization whose mission is guaranteed not to fail. And an organization whose founder and CEO is God in the flesh, who was publicly executed, went into the grave, and three days later rose from the dead. Now that's an organization. It's not an organization. It's what we call, what the Bible refers to as the church. The body of Christ. And this Bible holds out a beautiful picture of what the church of the living God is what it was intended to be and what it will be for all eternity because God has determined it will be so. That's us. And so for the next few weeks together, we're going to dive down into Scripture and we're going to be challenged and we're going to be reminded of what the church is and what the church is to be. And I am so excited about that for me, for you, for us as a church family and Uh, We can just own something at the beginning, I think, as we kick off this series, and today's going to be a lot of introduction. Uh, These messages, I'll just go ahead and tell you over the next few weeks, are going to be like a big piece of sausage. When we're finished, we're just going to cut it off, and we'll pick up the next week. We may not even feel like we're finished each week. We're building every week we go through together. When I said big piece of sausage, my wife looked at me and went, I don't even know what that, what are you talking about? Anyway, you just think about it. (laughs) So I recognize that in this room, even when we start talking about the church, that there are a broad set of perspectives and ideas and backgrounds and understandings of what the church is, what you wish the church was, maybe what you think the church ought to be. I understand that some of you in this room are brand new to the thing called the church. You're brand new to the family of God. Some of you in this room are like me. You've been going to church since Nine months before you were born, right? The church has just been part of your life. Some of you in this room, when we talk about church, you would have to say, if you were honest, that you're a critic. 
And maybe it's a critic for fair reasons. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've been let down. And when you think about the church, it's not real positive things that come to your mind. You've had bad experiences in the church. I recognize that. Some of you are in this church and you've been part of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. This local expression for 28 years now. You're some of the founding members and you've seen change and growth and ups and downs and all of that. So I recognize there's a lot of perspectives on what the church is even in this room this morning. So here's what we're going to attempt to do over the next 9-10 weeks together. I'm going to try to set some furniture for you this morning, let you know where we're headed, kind of give you a road map. I'm going to give you a big truth that's going to really be a guiding truth for this whole series. <clears throat> It'll be on the screen, and if you say, man, those screens are so small, these are 65-inch TVs, right? They're massive, but they look small out there, I know. So the big truth that's going to guide, that was kind of a reference to the unfinished stage, but I'm sorry, forgive me, sorry, I repent. Big truth that's going to guide us for the next few weeks is this, and here it is. When we talk about what defines the church, here's a statement for us. We are defined as a church by the foundational principles that ground us, the core practices that guide us, and the membership promises that we make to one another as God's family. Now you say, Pastor Mike, that kind of sounds academic. I'm not really sure what that means. Well, this is going to be a guide for the next few weeks together. Let me break down what this means very quickly for you. First, we're going to spend some time talking about the principles. Biblical principles that ground us as believers, that give us definition of who we are. When we think about biblical principles, these are absolutes from Scripture that do not change. Biblical principles like we exist for the glory of God. Biblical principles like this. Biblical authority that the word of God is the final truth and final authority in our life. Biblical principles like gospel sufficiency. Here it is. Jesus is enough. So some of these biblical principles that if you think about it, it would be like these It'd be like a steel girder, a massive steel girder. If you know anything about skyscrapers, you know, when you look at a skyscraper, it may be 100 stories high, but it may go 20 stories underground. There's these massive steel girders that are pounded into the ground. They're pounded into the ground before that skyscraper is ever built. When we talk about biblical principles, I want you to think about it that way. These immovable, unchanging biblical truths, we're going to pound some in the ground over the next few weeks together. Because it's around, it's around these biblical principles that ground us, they shape us straight from God's Word. And I want to say this too, here's what's important about biblical principles that are driven down into the ground. Do you know why a lot of churches struggle with disunity? Do you know why a lot of churches struggle with people griping? Well, it's because we're made up of people, that's one reason. But another reason is this, is churches try to be built on personalities, programs, and preferences, and that will never last. I got one amen. Thanks, Jim. If you're a part of this church because you like the certain personalities, they may change. And if you're a part of this church because you like certain programs, they may change. Programs change. 
If you're a part of this church because you like preferences and you say, well, I like that church because they have pews and they sing a certain kind of song, that may change. What I'm talking about are unchanging biblical principles that are pounded into the ground through God's word that will never change. And we unify around that. Biblical principles span age demographics. If you're 80 or 8, we can gather around biblical principles that don't change. They span across gender and background and history and socioeconomic differences and all those things. We unify around gospel sufficiency that Jesus Christ is enough. It's not going to change. So we're going to build out some principles and talk about four of them over the next couple weeks. Uh, We also are going to look at practices. Practices are these things that guide us. They're these these things that we pursue as a church family that rise right up out of Scripture, rise right up out of these practices. They give us direction. When we say our practices, we talk about we abide in Christ. We gather for worship. We connect in community. We equip families, and we go make disciples. We build everything around those five practices as a church. They help us know what we're doing as a church, what we're going to be doing as a church. And watch this. They also help us know what we don't need to be doing as a church. Because we could be the casserole, uh, I don't know, puppet ministry church. Nothing wrong with that. But we want to be defined by things that the Bible says, no, 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 here, Tri-Cities, here's the things you're to be doing. Abiding in Christ, gathering for worship, connecting in community, equipping families, going and making disciples. Those are the things you're to be doing. We want to build around those. We're going to talk about those over the next few weeks. And then the promises. Up out of these principles, up out of these practices come promises. And these are how we interact together. These are the things that we promise and commit to one another. These are the things you can expect as a part of this church. And the things that will be looked to you as a member of this church to say, what does it look like to be a healthy, active, thriving member of Tri-Cities Baptist Church? We call them our membership promises. We're going to talk about those for the next few weeks together. So all that's kind of a road map of where we're going This has been a series that we've been praying about for weeks. Uh, And at the end of this series, what do we really hope happens? I made a joke earlier, but as one of your elders and your elder team has been praying over this, after eight or nine weeks of this, what do we hope happens in your life and my life and our life as a church family? Let me give you a few. Number one, and Jeremy mentioned this earlier, but this is so true. I pray after nine or ten weeks of this that we, all of us, love the church like Jesus loves his church. Ephesians 5 is very challenging, very convicting. It says, husbands, love your wives. The rest of that verse says, just as Christ also loved the church. And here's how much he loves his church. He gave up his life for her. In other words, Jesus Christ highly values his church, his people. I want us to grow and have a higher view and value of the church, the bride of Christ, that we see it as God sees it in his word. There's a mantra out there. It goes something like this. Maybe you've said this. Maybe you've thought it. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't really have much to do with the church. And basically what you're saying is, I love Jesus, but I don't really love what Jesus loves. It doesn't work that way. 
In other words, it's inconsistent, and that's a modern-day thought today that in my relationship here with Jesus, it's just me and Jesus, and as long as this is good, we're all good. Jesus never said that. That's not absolutely true. He said, in fact, you'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. <laughs> one another! So I want us to grow in our love for the church. I want us to see the church like Jesus sees the church and be reminded in Matthew 16, Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You do understand that the church of the living God that we're a part of is the only entity that Jesus promises and says, I'll build it and I guarantee it's going to be done. The mission of the church will be completed. The church is not man's idea. It's God's idea from before the foundation of the world. The church is not an organization, but it's a living organism made up of the redeemed people of God, called out and set apart by God. It is a global organization. We are connected to every other believer and from all time in history. The church, Big C, is the global organization. But watch this. The church is also local. The church is also this, a local visible expression where you belong, where you serve, where you are served, where you're challenged, where you're held accountable, where you're led by qualified leaders, where we advance the gospel together. And I think, what's this, it's a lot easier to say I love the big broad church than it is to say the visible local church with all its bumps and bruises and accountability and relationships where it's really lived out. That's where it gets real. The local expression, Tri-Cities Baptist Church, for example. And I'll just say this, and this is going to sound a little bit heavy, but I intend it to be. I, I hope as a part of this series over the next few weeks, all of us, me, in, me included, that biblical truth, biblical truth will expose false assumptions that we have about the church resulting in personal repentance and deeper commitment to the body of Christ, to the glory of God. In other words, I pray there's times through this series that the word of God sinks deep in your heart and you go, you know what, I have not seen God's people rightly. I've had a low view. I may say, I believe we're all connected together, but I'll be honest, church has just been a spectator sport for me, whatever the case may be. Because all of us have false notions and all of us have ideas of what the church is to be. I want us to rally around the word of God for the next few weeks together. Listen, I was reminded when we first came back here from, uh, from Las Vegas that especially in the South, everybody has an opinion of what church is to be. And everybody holds out things that are important. I don't know that I've ever shared this or not, but before I ever set foot as, as one of the pastors of this church, I received an email from a prominent fellow in this church. And before I ever did one single thing as pastor, he wrote me an email and he said, well, we're excited you're here, pastor, but you, you need to understand before you come, you need to shave that beard, you better wear a tie, and we better not cancel Monday night visitation we had some strong opinions of what the church is to be right or wrong we're not going to be built on preferences we want to be built on biblical principles that are unchanging right so what are, what's this going to look like for the next few weeks that's kind of a road map so here's what we're going to do this morning in particular as time allows uh, we're going to look at two just two of these foundational deeply driven steel girder principles that ground us as a church family. We're going to look at two this morning. The first one is this. Here we go. The first biblical principle that grounds us as a church is simply this. God's glory. 
and the biblical reality from Genesis to Revelation that as a church and as individuals and as families, we exist for Him. We exist for God. Now, I understand that even when I say that, it, it kind of grates against our individuality. It grates against our self-determination. But let me tell you something. It is a settling reality that brings great joy when we realize we do not ultimately exist for us. We ultimately exist for God and His glory. Right? You don't have to look these up. I'm going to read these. They'll be on the screen for you. I'm going to give you a few scriptures we're going to look at and make some points here. Isaiah 43, 7, the prophet Isaiah says this, speaking for God. He says, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God makes it very clear in Isaiah 43 that the people of God exist, we exist for him. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. All of creation exists to the glory of God. Now, we can get caught up in church language, and we can think, uh, the, the idea of glory, I'm not really even sure what that means. Let me help you with that a little bit this morning. When we see the word glory in Scripture... It originally meant weightiness or value. It was even a, it was an economic term of buying and selling. It referred to the weight or the value of something. So when we see the idea of glory here, what it means is the worth and the great value of something. Sometimes we don't use it a lot, but some people, even in conversations, they'll see something great and their response will be, well, glory. That was kind of an old phrase, but what that means is, man, that's pretty significant. That's a big deal. The word glory is directly connected to the idea of the greatness of God. The word glory as it's used in scripture is the idea of God's greatness made public. It is God going public with his greatness. The idea of glory is this. It is his infinite beauty and manifold greatness revealed. And it is balancing for us and helpful for us from the scriptures from Genesis to revelation to understand that God is unashamed in saying everything exists ultimately to declare and reflect his greatness and his glory. See that? Now let me give you a few little helpful handles with that this morning and then we'll make some application. What does it mean for us as a church? Number one under God's glory is this, is that God's glory is immeasurably significant. One of the things as believers is the Holy Spirit of God, by His grace, has opened our eyes. And by the grace of God, we see everything else in the world, but we're aware that there is an ultimate glory in the world. There's an ultimate, great, significant reality in the world. And it's not me, and it's not any created thing. It's God Himself that brought all things into existence. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Just listen to this passage. The Apostle Paul has just written the first 11 chapters of Romans. He's laid out the greatness and the glory of who God is. It's expressed in the gospel. Paul gets to the end of it in verse 33 and says this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
I mean, Paul's just overflowing here. He can't even articulate the greatness and the glory of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And unfathomable are his ways. And then Paul has a summary statement here in verse 36. He says, for from him, the word from is a source word. Everything comes from him. And through him, everything finds its means and meaning in him. And unto him, it's a purpose word. Everything exists for him. And unto him are all things. And then he concludes with this. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. In other words, there's a lot of things in this created world that have glory. There's a lot of things that God has given glory, but ultimately every created thing is to point back, is a glimpse of a lesser glory that points to the ultimate glory of God in his greatness. You see that? There's some things on this earth that we enjoy that God has given us. I'll just, I'll risk an example here, and I'm going to risk this illustration, and I didn't ask my wife about this one either, but today is 23 years of marriage celebrated. 23 years ago today, I got to marry the woman sitting right there. Yeah. That helped, by the way. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, it's been 23, it's been 23 years of great marriage. I, I say to younger couples all the time, it gets better year after year after year. It does. Some of you guys, it would have been a good spot for an amen there. <laughs> Man, I love being married to Jennifer. We're going to celebrate this afternoon and go on a date. and We, we enjoy. I, I love being married to, to that woman. And there is a glory. Watch this. There is a glory to marriage. Amen? But as much as that woman brings to my life, I know when I'm balanced that as glorious as marriage is, it is only a hint and a shadow of the glory that is ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything we experience on the planet that God blesses us with is to be a taste, a foretaste of the ultimate glory that's found in God Almighty. His glory is immeasurably significant. Secondly, and we've kind of said this already, but just to be clear, God's glory is the purpose of His creation It's why he created everything. I'm in a conversation this past week with a fellow. I'm having a share meal across the table with a fellow that doesn't know Christ. He's wrestling with why we exist and why we're here. And I've been studying all this. And I was able to look at him and say, I'll tell you why we're here. i got one word, glory. He didn't fully get it. He didn't fully understand that. But we exist for the glory of God. You get that out of balance, life doesn't make any sense. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says it this way. It kind of repeats what he says in other places. But he says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. We exist for God. 
That does not mean God is needy. That does not mean that God said, I'm lonely. I'm going to create a people because I need, God needs nothing. We exist for Him, not to give Him something that He doesn't have, but to reflect and declare all that He is. See that? If you think you exist to help God, or God needs us, or God is lacking something, we really don't, that's, that's, a, that's a real low view of glory. He lacks nothing. All of creation exists to declare His glory. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And watch this. All things exist to delight. To delight in His glory. The Old Testament says this, Psalms, we've just been through the Psalms, but Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 149 says, Let Israel, the people of God, be glad in His Maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their King. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Your ultimate joy is found in the glory of God. Watch this. His glory and your joy are not competitors. That's the lie from the garden. God's glory is not enough. You need something else, Eve. You need this fruit to make you really wise, to delight your eyes. When God was everything to her, that's lie number one from the beginning. God's glory is not enough. It's a lie. So all of creation was brought into existence for the glory of God. Thirdly, let me give you this one quickly. God's glory is the aim of the church. So we talk about principles that we're driving into the ground that found us, that ground us, that we build everything upon. It's the reality that the glory of God is the aim of the church. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He's just going on and on about the grace of God and about what God has done from the foundation of the world and how he's kept his promise and carried it out in Christ and called the people into himself and seated us in the heavenlies in Christ. He says this. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you want some good reading this week, go read Ephesians 1 and just follow along the words of Paul as he drips about the grace of God. Why? God, why from the foundation of the world did you determine that there would be a people that you would redeem unto yourself? Why did you determine that the means to bring that about would be your perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did you determine that the Spirit of God would call a people out and redeem us and set us apart? What was the ultimate point of the grace of God? Verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Why, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Verse 7 of Ephesians says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, so that, verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Isn't that awesome? 
In other words, in this world and in the ages to come, the church, the called out people of God are literally a visible, tangible trophy of the goodness and grace of God. And the picture is this. Mike, look at, look at old Mike. He used to be dead. He used to be dead in sins and trespasses. He used to be carried away by his own lusts. He used to be all about himself. He used to be all about his own desires. But then I redeemed him and I called him to myself and I made him a part of a people and looked for the world and all for ages forever to see the trophy and the end is the grace of God. That's why I did it all. But you need to understand we swim in a sea where the culture says it's all about you. And the enemy said to Eve in the garden, God has given you everything. But watch this. This is subtle. You've heard it this week. Eve, God's in it for himself. But Eve, I'm in it for you. That's the lie. See, God's glory and my joy are not competitors. It is embracing and beholding the glory of God that I find my ultimate joy as a redeemed child of God set apart for His glory. To declare it, to delight in it. So as a church, out of these principles come practices. We'll look at those over the next few weeks and also come our promises. I mentioned that. So every week we're going to weave a few of these promises in. Let me give you one of them. In light of what we just said, here's promises we make as the people of God. What it means to be a member here, for example. We promise to do all as a church to the glory of God. That's something we strive for. You should be able to expect that as a part of this church. In the same way as a member of this church to be able to say, I promise by the power of God, not in my flesh, I promise to do all as a Jesus follower to the glory of God. And then what does that practically look like fleshed out in our lives? So that's true. We exist for the glory of God. And as members, we say, yes, we're going to pursue the glory of God. What does that look like? I'm just going to read you four or five quick verses, give you some tangible application, and then we're going to talk about one more in the time we have remaining. What does it look like as a local church to say we will pursue the glory of God above all things? Let me give you a few. I'll just read these. You don't take time to look these up. Jesus said it this way. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, Lord, if there's anything in my life that is not a reflection of you, if there's anything in my life that the world can look to and it doesn't point them to you, Lord, my light is not shining and you are not receiving glory. Make me more and more and more and more like you. Jesus said it this way, I'm the vine, you are the branches. John 15, you know that metaphor of the vineyard? He who abides in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Then verse 8 he says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. 
We glorify God as a church when we desire to grow in Christ's likeness and bear the fruit of the character of Christ. And we say, Lord, chip away anything in my life that does not look like Jesus. I want to bear the fruit of a passionate follower of Christ because you receive much glory when your people bear fruit. Paul said, you have been bought with a price. Your body is not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul says, look, we need to recognize that even my body exists for the glory of God. So what I choose to do with my body, the gospel says, I don't even own my own body. God owns it, and I am to exist for the glory of him. So what I look at, where I go, what I say, how I use my body, the question is not do I like it, not is it what the world's doing. God, are you glorified even by my body? See that? Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. My decisions are driven not by, this is my preference, or this is maybe a good idea. My decisions are driven by, Lord, I've glorified you by doing what you have called me to do. And that brings you great glory and you great joy, by the way. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, watch this, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. How does our conduct in trials and in distress and in pain glorify God? And Peter says, so that the proof of our faith may be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, and that will result in the praise and glory and honor of King Jesus. In other words, even the way you endure through pain and trials is a picture of the grace of God. And as the people of God come out on the other side, it is to purify us to the glory of God. Bring on the pain if necessary, Father, for your glory. Psalm 96, we looked at it last week. Just very quickly, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. In other words, we glorify God, not when we take evangelism just as a good idea. We realize one of the reasons we exist is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and the nations. It's not a good idea or a church program. It is hardwired into the DNA of who we are. It's a church. So we as a church will continue to strive for the glory of God. We exist for Him. Amen? Amen. Now I said it's like a big old sausage, so I'm just going to go a little bit longer and then we're going to cut the sausage off. But there, there's, that's principle number one. We exist for Him. Principle number two, and we'll pick up next week, but I want to go ahead and give you a little bit of it today. We'll go as far as we can. Second big pylon, right? We're, we're driving pylons. We're driving these steel girders down into the ground. We exist for him, God's glory. Secondly, biblical authority. Biblical authority. The Bible is the ultimate source of truth. Now, where do we get that from? Let's read you a couple of verses. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is inspired by God. 
All scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. When the Bible talks about the scriptures, it talks about from Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books that we hold in our hands. You have an English copy of the scriptures in your hands, unless you speak Greek or Hebrew or some of the language. But what we have is a reliable, good translation of what has come from the very mouth of God. So that, verse 17, the man of God, woman of God, may be adequate, well-equipped, furnished for every good work. The pylon driven into the ground for us as a church of biblical authority. Let me give you three quick things about that very quickly. Number one is this. The Bible is God-breathed. And if we don't hold to that as a church and we don't drive that pillar into the ground, that girder, nothing else is going to be stable to say. The reason we say the Bible is our authority and we build our lives on what God says, it's not because this is a really inspiring book. We read it, man, I love the stories. They just really get me fired up. That's inspiring. The, Bible's not, the Bible is inspiring, but that's not the point. The Bible is inspired which means it has come from the very mouth of God Almighty. That means it has an authority that no other book has, ever. That means it has an authority that nothing else has. The Bible from the mouth of God. Number two, the Bible is authoritative. It speaks with great authority. First Peter or Second Peter puts it this way. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. The Bible is not a collection of man's ideas. The Bible is a collection, verse 21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Therefore, as we go forward as a church, a pylon, a pillar, a girder in the ground is this. This book is God-breathed, and this book is authoritative. Right? Number three, final one is this. And this is one, I'm just going to say it really quick, even before, I, even before I share it. Those first two, we're all, I mean, especially if you grew up in church, you're going to, for the most part, say, yeah, Bible's inspired. Bible's authoritative, okay. But we may or may not even believe this third one, and many of us say we believe it, but our lives just don't reflect it. And here it is, number three. The Bible is sufficient, the, the Bible is sufficient. What does that mean? Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, complete, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. God's testimony about himself is reliable. It is making wise the simple. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, Jesus says, Listen, you want to know how you grow? You want to know how you come to know God? You want to know how we know God the Father? God has revealed everything we need to know about him right here in the pages of scripture it's complete everything we need to know about sanctification is given to us in the pages of scripture now watch sufficiency of scripture does not mean if my car breaks down tomorrow i better find the book of leviticus what it says about car repair all right it does not mean if I want to know all of human history to the detail, that's what's found in the Bible. That's not what the Bible is written for. The Bible does not, it doesn't mean sufficiency. It is sufficient for every area of life. That's not the point. But to know God, to grow in Christ's likeness, to walk in God's will for sanctification, ultimate glorification, everything we need has been given to us 
in the word of God. It is sufficient. Therefore, be very dangerous of books. Be very dangerous of authors. I don't care how pretty they make the title of their book. They can call it Jesus Calling or whatever they want to call it. But if they confuse their own words with the authority of the word of God, you are on dangerous ground. And in your own life, if you think, I've, I've read the Bible and I just need more, there's got to be more out there, you've never, you've never buried yourself in the pages of Scripture and you're living very closely to a life that says, I better hear a new word from God personally and you have no idea if it's from God alone. If it's from God, the only way you know is God speaks through what He has already spoken, the word of the living God. We build our church and we build our lives on that. See, the Bible makes known the way of salvation and sanctification. No other special revelation is needed to know God and his will for our lives. God's word is unchanging and will stand forever. Thus, knowing God and growth in Christ's likeness is built on a spirit-empowered devotion to the scriptures, the word of God. See that? So for us as a church, a pillar driven into the ground. We exist for God, God's glory. Pillar driven into the ground, biblical authority. The Word of God is the ultimate truth and authority. So out of that come some promises that we make to one another. Some things that you should grow to expect as a part of this church. Some things that we want to grow to be true of you as a member of this church as we interact with one another. Here they are. We promise to affirm, teach, and adhere to the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters. If you are a part of this church and that's no longer true, you have every right to raise a major issue in this church if the Bible is no longer the authority. Elders only have authority from which it is given by Scripture. Scripture is our authority. Then for you as a member of this church, it is for you to promise, as our membership says, to affirm and submit to the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters. Therefore, the question is not what God told me, how I feel about it, I heard, popular opinion. The question for us is what does God say? Right? So then what does that look like in a church body? It's flowing out of membership promises. And I, I want to invite the team. You guys can come on up and just begin to play. I don't want you to start you putting your books away and all that. We're going to wrap it up here in just a minute. But just like we did with God's glory, I'm going to share a couple verses. And okay, So if we believe that, biblical authority, we adhere to the truth of the Bible, then what does that look like for us practically? Just kind of listen. Don't take time to look these up. Here's a couple verses. Paul says this in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In other words, if we believe in biblical authority, we're going to be a people who are continually spurring one another on, spurring one another on to plant this book and plant our lives in the truth of Scripture. You should expect that as a church. Acts 2.42 says, 
And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The apostles' teaching refers to the scripture they had at that time. In other words, as a church, they devoted themselves to the word and they gathered around the word in fellowship. That is why as a church, we will pursue God's truth in community. It's not just you and your Bible in a room alone. There's a place for that. But there's also you and your Bible around brothers and sisters in Christ who are speaking truth into your life through study groups and life groups as a part of this church. It's not a good idea. It's a biblical calling God has given us. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. In other words, what we will do is we will gather every Sunday, every Lord's Day, or whenever we have our gathering, and you can expect that the Word of God is going to be proclaimed and preached and taught. We'll gather around that. Deuteronomy 6 says, These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. As a church, we will strive to equip families Our method is the family discipleship plan. Our tool is the Word of God to equip families to do exactly what Deuteronomy 6 says. Pour into, teach, disciple those who will come after us the next generation. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. In other words, we will go and we will carry the authority of the Word of God with us, what has come from the mouth of God, and we will share the gospel and the truth of who God is. That's what it means to be Tri-Cities Baptist Church. That's what it means to be the people of God. We will pursue that together. Amen? We exist for Him. His Word is authoritative. His word is sufficient. His word is God-breathed. Biblical authority. In just a second, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. Maybe God has spoken to your heart. Maybe even this morning there's some areas that have become aware to you that, man, I just don't align with that. I, I don't have that view of God's glory. I'm making all my decisions for myself or ultimately for my little kingdom or I say I believe in the Word of God but boy, it just doesn't have place in my life or I'm making decisions right now in my own understanding, not God's Word. Let me close with this and then I'm going to pray and we'll sing together. You do understand that in your life and in the life of this church, The two things that I've mentioned this morning will be continually under attack, constantly. How do you know that? Garden of Eden, first attack from the enemy, Eve, you need more. God's glory is not enough. Eve, I'm in it for you. You live in a world that is continuing the the drumbeat of self-determination, self-will, self-exaltation. We live in that sea. And you live in a world that lives out what the serpent said to Eve right after that. Has God really said? The Word of God is constantly under attack. So we as a church are going to drill some deep pylons. We exist for Him. His Word is absolutely true and has all authority in our lives. You pray with me. Just bow your head for a minute. The team's going to lead us. We're going to stand and sing.
We believe it's impossible to hear the word of God and not respond in some way. So I'm going to encourage you to respond right there. Maybe there's a point of obedience. Maybe there's a moment of confession. Maybe there's a, something of repentance that God's pointed out to you this morning. I don't know. I trust the Spirit of God to do His work. I trust you to obey to the Word of God and the Spirit of God this morning. Lord, I love you. I thank you for these people. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, grow us in Christ's likeness for your glory and send us to the ends of the earth. Do your work in us this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you will, won't you stand to sing together, continue. Respond there as the Lord leads, as our team leads us.